that process of having them think through who they would give money to begins to get them thinking outside of themselves, which is something difficult to do for kids, but it begins to kind of get those wheels moving. And that could be very powerful. Think about your kids. What would happen if they were in charge of all of your money? Well, you don't have to imagine. They will be someday. I think people discount how important those kinds of lessons can be later on, whether 18, 20, 25 years old or older. I'm Patrick Pacheco, and you're listening to In Good Companies from Cadence Bank, the podcast where we answer the toughest questions facing your business and guide you through the company lifecycle from start to sale and success to succession. Wealth transfer feels intimidating to a lot of people. They want their hard-earned money to help their family, but they also know it has the potential to alter lives and cause major tension. Studies show that about 70% of wealthy families have lost that wealth by the second generation. For almost 90% of families, it's gone by the third. Many inheritors aren't taught how to manage money, so it evaporates as quickly as it comes. So if you really want to feel good about transferring wealth to your kids, you've got to be transferring more than just money. So in this final episode of In Good Companies, Season 1, we're going to talk about wealth transfer and how to prepare the next generation to handle finances. This is a process that takes years, so we talked to an expert who's been doing it for years. So Felix, can you introduce yourself, please? Yeah, my name is Felix Manessis. I am the Dallas Trust Market Executive for Cadence Trust. And what exactly does that job entail? So my role within the bank is to manage a group of trust officers and work with high net worth families to make sure that we protect their principal, grow their assets, and ensure this, the transfer of assets to the next generation. So transfer of assets, is that, that's pretty simple, isn't it? You just knock a will out right quick or put POD on an account and that's all you have to do? Or, or is there something more in, in wealth transfer planning? I mean, so many times the wealth is the easy part. You know, how you transfer, how you make sure you minimize taxes as you go through that, that winds up being very technical. But transferring the values that maybe created the wealth and maintained it winds up being a lot more difficult. You really can't do with just a simple piece of paper and writing the will down. In the will, you might say, you know, this goes here and this goes to this other person, but how do you transfer those values? And it's really one of the areas that we focus on. The wealth transfer process is exciting, but it's also nerve-wracking. When a family comes to us, a lot of times there's a lot of apprehension. There's a lot of uh, thoughts around how is this wealth and this transfer of this wealth to this next generation is going to impact them. Some of them might be even to the point where they are afraid that if once they transfer the wealth that you know the children might make different choices, knowing what that wealth is, maybe not go to college. There's a lot of fears out there around what that would do to that next generation. So we help them through a process of discovery, working with them to really sort of understand and listen to what their apprehension is and what their fears are around that. Before you can transfer those values, Felix says you have to identify what your priorities are. A lot of times the spouses or the parents haven't even talked or thought about this themselves. They just have this general anxiety. So what we do is we do have them come in and have a conversation with us and we try to understand what their core values are, the core principles that they want to really focus in on. And a lot of times what we found is that they really sort of center around three major areas that they feel like they want to make sure that they 
transferred to that next generation so that the wealth that they receive winds up being something that edifies their life as opposed to a destructive force in their life. So typically we're looking at stewardship and understanding that part of it. We're looking at philanthropy and what their values are around that. And, we, and we're also looking at entrepreneurship uh, as well. So there could be other core principles that they're looking to transfer, but we really try to, through discovery questions, at, find out exactly how they feel about those things. And a lot of times they have strong feelings about them, and they haven't really looked for ways to make sure that those feelings transfer to that next generation through examples or other tactics. It's kind of interesting here because it sounds like it's not really the wealth that's the primary aspect of the transfer, but it's that you're trying to use wealth to carry those, those ideas out. Felix mentioned a trio of common values that he helps clients teach their kids. Stewardship, philanthropy, and entrepreneurship. I asked him to tell me more about what each of these means in the context of wealth transfer. Recently, I got a chance to listen to one of the, the sons of Lamar Hunt give a speech. That would be Lamar Hunt late owner of the Kansas City Chiefs. He characterized this concept of stewardship very interestingly. Coming from a, a oil and gas and land development family, he said his father told him that this land that you hear, you're basically renting it throughout your life. So there was uh, this concept of stewardship is about the wealth, that you're the steward of that wealth for the next generation. So that's very different thought process than this is mine, and I do whatever I want with it, even to the point of squandering it. I am basically renting this for my life, and my goal is to make sure that this actually grows for that next generation and the generation after that. In order to have generational wealth survive beyond the third or fourth generation, which statistics are that it usually doesn't, you have to have this concept of stewardship. Now, philanthropy is a little bit different because this is really about impact and making sure that the uh, next generation understands that one of the powers of that wealth that they are going to receive is that they have the power to make a broader impact in their community that they live in and in the world that they're taking part in. And active philanthropy, not just in terms of money being spent or donated, but also in time, can actually begin to shape the next generation's perspective into the power that they can have in really focusing on other people. And that's another thing that happens with philanthropy is they start to change the focus from just what do I need to what can I do for others as they take part in that philanthropy. And then you talked about entrepreneurship. What concept are you trying to get there? Or what type of values are you trying to impart with entrepreneurship? So in entrepreneurship, there we're looking at implementing tactics that will allow a person to actually have a well-thought-out business plan so that they can make sure that they understand that this is another way of making an impact. So in the entrepreneurship side, you can actually create structures where you have a committee set up by, it could be family members that can't work a lot like a bank would whenever a family member once has a project or an entrepreneurship uh, idea that they want to implement, that they, instead of going to the patriarch and say, hey, give me a check, they would go to this committee and basically express their idea and the committee can take a look at it and approve it as they would as a loan committee or an underwriter would. So by creating that structure, you create an expectation of how entrepreneurial spirit is going to be uh, enhanced through the wealth as opposed to just give me a check. Ch- 
These values won't magically appear in the next generation. They have to be deliberately taught. But many parents are nervous talking money or finances with their children. I find that a lot of people, they'll say, My, we don't really like to talk to our kids about money because they don't know what we have. Often I look at them and say, you drive a Porsche, your wife drives a Maserati, <laughs> you have a house in River Oaks, your kid goes to the nicest private school in Houston. They know you have money. They're a lot smarter than we think they are. I think a lot of people that have wealth are afraid that the wealth is going to ruin their children. Uh, I used to tell people, you know, the one thing about kids is they're people. The only thing you can try to do is, can, is help them understand the values you have and hopefully try to impart those on them. But that raises the question, how early should you start teaching kids about money? I've always said the earlier, the better. If you can start as even as early as, as five, seven years old, you can start having some of these conversations around that. But I think a lot of times we don't give kids enough credit for how much they really pick up until they surprise us with something that we didn't know they knew. So don't think that they're too young. I think the key is to make it age appropriate, right? And make sure that we are making it fun. So the key is, is look for opportunities to educate by making sure that you have age-appropriate tactics that are working through that. And when families come to us with this anxiety, it's usually anxiety around giving to the next generation is usually because they really have not had the opportunity to do some of these things or hadn't thought about them early enough. When you're talking about money, what does that age-appropriate education look like? So everything is very customized, right? So we look at where the family is, what the ages are of, of that next generation. And what we typically try to do is structure a program specific to what they're looking for to educate them and get them down the road so that they're able to be constructive with the wealth that they receive. To be more specific, we've got something called a wealth empowerment program within Cadence Bank that allows us to put them through three different tracks. So you've got, if you're between ages of 15 to 22, there's certain goals and primers and educational pieces that we provide them. In addition to some mentorship and experiential applications, if you're the, between the ages of 22 to 30, that might be a little bit different. And then if you're 30 to 40, then that might be also a little bit different. The focus changes as the ages change, but always starting with education and then creating some experiences as well and, and meetings with key people within our organization to make sure that they're getting the concept. If you want to get your child started even earlier, Felix has some activities for you as well. Depending on the age of the child and what's there, you know, for a lot of times they're children and, you know, you have to kind of break things down in a way that it resonates with them. So one of the things that we talk about is utilizing the three jars tactic, right? So where you tell the parents, hey, give the child some chores to do at home. And then, you know, that's kind of their job. And they, they start working. Ultimately, the goal is once they get the money, you grab the three jars and you divide up and you put a certain percentage in the jar for savings, another percentage in the jar for giving, and another percentage on the jar for spending. And one of the most important things about that is you try to tie that spending jar with something they want to get, a toy or something that they want to pick up and say, hey, let's work towards that. It allows them to see, hey, they, I worked for something, I earned it, and then I use my spending jar to actually go out and actually buy it. So just it's very simple, but there's a lot of principles being taught there. And the earlier you get those principles across, the more they're going to understand the impact that money can have. And then you grab the donation jar. And then you're able to go somewhere in the community and have them actually hand, hand the money or hand the check 
And it's important for them to also get involved in actually picking. That process of having them think through who they would give money to begins to get them thinking outside of themselves, which is something difficult to do for kids already. But it begins to kind of get those wheels moving. And that could be very powerful early on. And I think people discount the how important those kinds of lessons can be later on whether they're 18, 20, 25 years old or older. When it comes to teaching your children entrepreneurship, it's hard to beat the classics. A lemonade stand is such a powerful tool for a child to sort of understand entrepreneurship. So it's just, it's an easy thing. People overlook the, how powerful that is, but you know, 10 years old, nine years old, having a lemonade stand out in, its, out in the neighborhood and earning money there's a ton of lessons that can come out of that. And then what you do with the money then becomes a whole other set of lessons around philanthropy and investment that then you can have with them as well. When you've instilled your core values and financial skills in the next generation, it's time to think about what your wealth transfer plan actually looks like. And there are a lot of options. Well, I think the nuts and bolts of it is usually you, you're looking at some level of control so a lot of times you go all the way from the basic will where you have a set of instructions as to what will happen and who will get what, you know, bequests and then residuary estate. Beyond that, you can also build revocable living trusts where you have the ability to avoid the probate process. That can be, a, you know, sometimes that could be, that's a goal of the planning process. And then, you know, depending on the size of the estate, you know, with a lot of the clients that we work with, we're also looking at strategies of creating irrevocable trust for the children. There's also, like we mentioned, the possibility of also creating a family foundation or a charitable trust for the purposes that we talked about before. So you can actually have both some of the values and also the wealth transfer so that it there's a reduction in the possibility of estate taxes through a family foundation. And that's a, a very common tool that we utilize with a lot of our clients. With so many different structures to work with, it's worth examining the key elements of the most successful wealth transfer plans. One of the commonalities is that you have a team of advisors that are talking to each other. So beyond just what's written in the paper, it's sort of the process around that. Number two, you've applied some of these corporate governance structures and committees inside of the transfer plan itself. And I think number three, that you have some of these uh, value opportunities or core principles that, that you create the opportunities for some of those to be transferred. Felix said a lot of great stuff there. So let's break that down. The first element Felix mentioned was a team of advisors. So when you're doing this, it seems like you're also going to have a lot of professionals involved. How do you coordinate, because everybody thinks about it differently, how do you coordinate the client with the CPA, with the attorney, with the business attorney? Some clients want to keep all of these people separate and have different conversations with them. And I think that's a recipe for problems down the road, mostly because there's an opportunity to have synergies come from the goals, because ultimately we're all working on some portion of the goal that the ultimate goal of transferring that wealth and making sure that that happens. Sort of like if you had a basketball team and you never actually had meetings or huddles, how terrible would that game turn out? Having the advisors work with each other allows the process to work a lot more smoothly and allows for the opportunity for new ideas to come to the table that maybe weren't there before. I think people have to realize that 
a lawyer looks at something differently than the CPA looks at it. The lawyer may say, hey, we're going to reduce the liability by creating these 15 LLCs and this and that. And the CPA is thinking, you're talking about 15 tax returns. You're talking about 15 you know, quarterly pay. Let's do it a different way. That give and take, I think, can be really useful and let the client kind of figure out what's going to work for them. The second piece that Felix mentioned was implementing corporate governance structures within your plan. And there's a really good reason to set up those protections. Corporate governance is a way to avoid family disputes. And no matter how hard you try, when Bobby took you know, Mikey's pail and, and when they were three, Mikey still remembers that. And when, when parent one dies, there's a shift in the dynamic. When parent two dies, it's a logarithmic shift in the dynamic. And Mikey's going to come and he's going to get his one up now for that pail. <laughs> you know, he's been waiting for, for 72 years to get this. He's going to get it now. I think most importantly, you can avoid family litigation because that splits families forever. I think you're absolutely right that in the void of that corporate governance structure and implementing that, what you have is people making decisions on their own, other parts of the family not feeling considered in some of the decisions. So the the thing splinters off over time and you wind up with different sections of the family doing their own thing and not really maximizing the impact of that wealth transfer. And that goes to the sustainability of the plan over generations. So a lot of times what we tell people is that they grab some of the principles of corporate governance and we bring them into the estate planning process. So we might have a board of protectors, right, or a trust protector that maybe plays a role or, or even a, a board of advisors where we might have several family advisors and also some professional advisors as well as part of that board. And if that sounds hard to implement for your family, Felix has a trick for getting buy-in. One of the tactics that we use is we have the opportunity of creating what we call endowed vacations to get the family together so that they can conduct some of these meetings and see each other face-to-face, transfer the values there. So, you know, we don't call it a, an annual meeting because uh, nobody wants to go to the meeting, but an endowed vacation that all of the family can come into and have the patriarch start that off, but also that next generation and have some of those committees actually function during that, those times, I think can be very helpful. There are other creative ways of implementing corporate governance that build some of those values Felix was talking about. I used to call that kitchen table philanthropy and I'd have clients set up a fund and then usually the day after Thanksgiving, they'd have a meeting and that's when the, the children, grandchildren present their choice for philanthropy. The charity was going to get it, but they had to they'd go before the board and make their case and had some clients in Austin that had started that with kids and now they're down to great grandkids. And this is, has turned into a, a big family foundation and they love it. The patriarch, they call him the chairman of the board and they call him the chairman all the time now. Finally, a plan is just a plan until you put it into action. So how do you make sure the plan gets executed? So... There's a couple of things that sometimes happen is one, there's a plan where they maybe create a revocable trust and they actually don't fund the revocable trust. They don't change title to the properties. The plan is worthless at that point. So that's one thing. The second thing, which I think you're more alluding to is, is really who are you choosing as trustee to make sure that things happen the way that you would want to happen after you pass away. So the execution of that is, is also key. So you want to make sure that you Find a trustee that is competent, that is not only honored by what you're saying, if it's a family member, but that they have the support structure and education to understand what's encompassed in actually fulfilling or administering the trust and working with you in that, working with that, that next generation to make sure that what you have happened that actually does happen. 
a great plan is only as, as good as the execution of that plan. Of course, in any scenario, there will be someone on the other end of that wealth transfer, and they have responsibilities as well. So let's flip to the other side. What advice do you have for somebody that's receiving this money? Asking the question in a way that is caring, that where you're thinking in terms of, I want to make sure that your wishes are carried on when you pass away. So it, it goes all the way from simple things like, where are the documents, dad or mom? Where do you have them housed? Is there sort of a, a checklist that maybe can go along with those documents to make sure that that's there? So we can help provide some of these checklists that they can take a look at and say, you know, let's do a quick inventory. It has to come from, I want to make sure that what you want to happen actually happens. As a person that might be involved in this, I want to get the information as soon as possible. And that, I encourage that next generation to broach the conversation if it's not going the other way, because while it, it's not the funnest conversation to have, I think it's, it's incredibly important. And it's going to make that patriarch feel a sense of comfort if you, if you ask it correctly to that things are going to be taken care of the way that you would want to. Yeah, and I think it's also important for kids to be real honest with their parents because a lot of parents, they'll see their kids not getting along. So they'll think, I know what I'll do when we're gone. I'll make them all co-executors, co-trustees, and the three board members of the foundation because now they'll be forced to get along. And if they don't get along, being forced to get along generally is not going to help that. Some people just don't want to be in that role. They may say, you know, hire a bank to be the trustee and the executor. I'm busy. I, I don't have time to deal with this. Not that I don't love you, but it's a, it's a time-consuming process. And as we close out our first season, we've got to echo a theme that resonated throughout our 10 episodes, the importance of communication. There's nothing bigger or more problematic than when there's a surprise at the end. Right. So if kids know, I'm not going to get anything or my brother's going to get this one asset because you, here's the reasoning you gave me. That's much better than finding out when you find the will and you start reading through it and say, wait a second, what were they doing? Nothing beats a conversation. Just open-ended questions to understand, you know, what are your wishes and really listen into what they want to happen in the future. What are they afraid of? And if there's one thing that Felix wants you to know about the wealth transfer process, it's that there's nothing to fear. It's not a scary thing. It's not scary to talk about. I would hope they understand that it's flexible, that they have control and they can execute control even after they pass away. A lot of times people push this off because they feel that they're going to lose some control factor. So there's ways to build that into the document and make sure that they have some control even, even if they're pushing something out of their estate. The old saying, the first generation makes the wealth, the second generation spends it, and the third sees none of it. To break that cycle, you have to be deliberate about how you approach money with your kids. Make sure to link money to the values you want to impart so it can be a tool for them to thrive and help others thrive. Engage them early and often with age-appropriate financial activities that instill the spirit of stewardship, philanthropy, and entrepreneurship. And build your wealth transfer plan with those values in mind. Use corporate governance structures in your plan to save your family from making difficult unilateral decisions and have open discussions with your inheritors about your vision and their involvement. If you do all this, you'll be setting up the next generation for success and teaching them what they need to pass down to the following generation and the one after that, 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 and the one after that. I'd like to thank Felix Manessis, my colleague, for imparting strong values to our team and all our listeners. 
In Good Companies is a podcast from Cadence Bank, member FDIC, equal opportunity lender. Sheena Cochran is our production coordinator. Our executive producer is Danielle Cornell, with writing and production from Andrew Gannam and sound design and mixing by Ben Crannell at Lower Street Media. I'm your host, Patrick Pacheco. If you've made it this far and you got something out of the episode, why don't you go out and give us a five-star rating in your podcast app? It's the best thing you can do to help the show grow and reach more people. And join us next week because when you're with us, we're in good companies. This podcast is provided as a free service to you and is for general informational purposes only. Cadence Bank makes no representations or warranties as to the accuracy, completeness, or timeliness of the content in the podcast. The podcast is not intended to provide legal, accounting, or tax advice and should not be relied upon for such purposes. To the extent that this podcast includes predictions about the economy, these predictions are subject to a number of variables and you should confer with your legal, accounting, and tax advisors for their input regarding the possible outcomes of any economic subject matter discussed herein.